Producer Michael Miracle here, and before we get into today's podcast, I'd like to quickly invite you to join the I Work For Him Nation. Being a part of the nation is all about being Jesus in your workplace, because you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. So, head to our website, iworkforhim.com, and click on the nation flag, then prayerfully consider joining the nation. We'd love for you to join us in this workplace movement. Thanks again for listening. Here's today's podcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian Talk Radio. Hey, thanks for tuning in to iWork for him this afternoon. As it is Solar Eclipse Frenzy Day. That's right. There are so many predictions about today, but let me just before we get into that, let, let's just let's just eliminate all of the doubt. Today was should have been a national holiday to celebrate the eclipse. I, I don't know. It's not really what we talk about on iWork for him. We don't usually talk about current events, but I want to welcome on our guest early into the show. Because I really, this guy's a professor. He's got a doctor in front of his name. I'm sure he knows everything about solar eclipses. I'd like to welcome Dr. Charlie Self to I Work for him. Charlie, how are you today? Hey, I am delighted to be with you. I don't know everything about solar eclipses, but I know that we're uh, enjoying this amazing phenomenon and we're all still here. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to jump in on. You know, before we really talk about what we're going to talk about today, which is Labor Day and the amazingness of the gift that God has given us to work, you know, there were, I saw, I had saw all kinds of Facebook posts. I saw all kinds of things predicting that today was the beginning of the end as seven years from now, there's another solar eclipse that will finish putting an X across America and spell the doomsday of, of America. Charlie, are, you know, you've got a doctorate. Let me just see. You, you're, you're an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God. You're a professor of church history at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. I am sure that somewhere in there when you got your doctorate, <laughs> they talked to you about you know, predictions of the gloom and the doom here at the end of the age. Did they ever talk about solar eclipses and propheticness about this? Oh, well, they, the solar eclipses, blood moons, uh, celestial phenomena all play in all through 2,000 years of church history to how people understand how soon uh, the final judgment may be coming, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is, this is not new, and it's not even wrong for people to wonder, is this a sign or could this be, since uh, St. John told us in his first epistle, little children, this is the final hour. So there is a sense in which a good anticipation is healthy, but uh, over-speculation and uh, too much detail, I can't tell you how many, how many recycling places are filled with books that predicted one thing and something didn't happen. Yeah, I think there was like the 88 reasons that happens in 88 and then 89 reasons that happens in 88. Exactly, exactly. And so it's, I mean, Martin Luther, even in his day, wondered if what was going on in the church during the Reformation, and this is the 500th anniversary of this great change in Western Christianity with five different Reformations that occurred, and there were people in every camp wondering, um, you know, is this part of that final moment? Um, so, depend, you know, the, the Great Lisbon Earthquake of 1752, um, other kinds of things that occur. So, um, anyway, I enjoyed, uh, you know, viewing, safely viewing the eclipse with my family, and uh, I will enjoy getting to do good work with you here on the radio. So you're, you're in the center of the country, so you actually got, did you get to see a full eclipse where you were? 
Oh, I, I'm actually in Denver, and oh, you're uh, in Denver. Our, okay. our offices with Made to Flourish are in Kansas, and I I teach at the seminary in Springfield, Missouri. So okay. my friends my friends got a little more of a glimpse. I think we got ninety two, ninety three percent here in Denver. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, we had about fifty percent here in Florida, and I went outside and I put on three different pairs of sunglasses and a pair of polarized glasses, and I looked in the back windshield of my car, and I could see it very, very clearly, and it was about half, and it was a little dull. And in Florida, just a little dull sunshine this time of year. That was a really nice fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in a beautiful country that's rather warm and humid this time of year. It is. It's a little. It's a little rough. Okay, one other sidetrack on you. Okay, so as I study in your background you you've got a uh, well you teach uh, let, let's see i want i want to make sure i read it right credentialed in 1980 with the assemblies of god you've been an associate pastor and a senior pastor several times and now you're presently a professor of church history at the assemblies yep. of god theological seminary in springfield missouri that's why i thought you lived there okay but denver's a little nicer than springfield okay but you you <laughs> teach courses on apologetics church history uh, mission history, leadership development, and discipleship. So here's my question about church history. Because a lot of people today are struggling with massive churches, they're struggling with monster churches, they're struggling, they're, they're struggling with the whole idea that church today isn't necessarily what Christ had intended. You teach church history. What was the early church really like? Describe it for us. Well, the early church, um, by the way, the early church fairly soon in its history had larger gatherings as well as small ones. But generally, the early church, they met in homes, and as, as Christianity grew along the trade routes of the Roman Empire, grew in cities. And by the way, the great secret to its growth, do you have a drum roll in the background, is one person telling another person about the Lord Jesus Christ, um, along with some wonderful apostles and missionaries. But you would meet in homes. And then by the late, late second, early third century, buildings began to be used or constructed. And in fact, it's even said in Ephesus that as many as 30 or 40,000 Christians occasionally would get together in the larger stadia. So it really varied, but in general, it was in homes. The center of your worship would have been the communion table, along with the reading of Scripture, the singing of songs, the praying of prayers. We have some wonderful documentation on this. And then as Christianity became a legal religion uh, early in the 4th century, they began to construct larger churches. Uh, so all through church history, keep going forward, Christians meet in small groups, they meet in large groups, uh, in urban centers, cathedrals are going to eventually be built, and people will complain that, uh, you know, there's, there's too much pomp and ceremony, and so different reformers come by and say we've got to get back to simplicity again. And so you have these cycles continuously uh, of larger gatherings, but always the fundamental gathering of the Christian church is usually a smaller gathering in a home or, or a medium-sized gathering in some kind of private or public building. So at what time in church history, Dr. Charlie Self, at what time in history did a pastor become, you know, did the role of pastor become the what was appeared to be the most important uh, part of the church and everybody else their roles weren't as important as pastor or missionary well that was gradual but really beginning with the late third century early fourth century with the rise of monasticism you begin to have this tragic split between the people called to a religious vocation and all the rest of the christians and so I would, and I, when I teach church history, I go on an anti-monastic rant for a little bit, and then I go on a pro-monastic rant because some of these communities did amazingly, amazing things, like the Benedictines and others, uh, the Celtic monasteries. 
So there were some amazing missions, economic development, other things that came out of the monasteries. But that division between I've got a religious calling and you've got a lay calling, uh, by the early by the early century, that was that was a real part of the thinking, and that's what we're trying to heal today with a variety of works like yours and mine and others, is, yes, God calls some to lead spiritually, but all of us, all of us have general and specific callings that are of equal importance, different assignments. Well, and that's, you know, traditionally Labor Day is a day day to celebrate a day off, but what if we change the focus on Labor Day to be a celebration of our ministry in the workplace? The original intent was to celebrate organized labor and the fact that we all had jobs, and that was really awesome, and that they were safe. But Labor Day has turned into a celebration in the last days of summer. It barely looks and feels like the original day it was intended to be, but I would like to talk today with you, Dr. Charlie Self, about changing that day you know today that we turn labor day into a celebration of what of the work that god has blessed us with today we celebrate the training that we've been given the the fact that you as a pastor are there to equip all of us in the congregation that we equip each other but specifically that we be taught to take our ministry into our workplaces and to celebrate that mission field that we've been given that's what I think I'd like to see Labor Day do. That's what I really want to talk about. Today. Well, I, about I, that? I'm going to jo- I'll join you in that re- in, in that revolution because this uh, w- good work from the standpoint of our Lord is all meaningful and moral activity apart from leisure and rest. So whether you're paid or unpaid, a volunteer, a laborer, or a leader, whether you're marketing or picketing the strawberries, whatever it may be, this is good work that adds value to the world, and it's what we were originally designed for in Genesis. And by the way, your reward for good work in this life before the Lord is going to be more in, in the age to come. I, I tell that to people, they get kind of depressed at first until they realize it will be perfected, but we are made to wake up each day for meaningful contribution for the glory of God and for the good of others. That's what we're made to do. When we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Charlie Self more about this Labor Day initiative, the focus on celebrating, taking a day off, but focus on celebrating what God has given us, our mission field. Each one of us has been given a mission field as it's described in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, that the church is for the equipping of the saints, and that's us. You're listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg, as we talk today with Dr. Charlie Self. Check out the Labor Day Initiative at love2020workplace.com, love2020workplace.com. We'll be right back with more on I Work For Him. Now it's time for the I Work For Him book highlight segment brought to you by MTL Magazine, the women's magazine designed to bring more to your life. In the fall edition of MTL Magazine, you will go behind the humor with the queen of clean, Shonda Pierce. Find words of encouragement for dealing with change, thoughts on perseverance, and practical ideas for dealing with kids going back to school. MTL is packed full of tips and articles from new voices, your favorite Christian artists, authors, and performers. Go to mtlmagazine.com and subscribe today. Promo code MTL. I work for him. Now, Jim, let's hear today's title. Hey, our title for today, Visions of Vocation, Common Grace for the Common Good by Stephen Garber. Let me just read a little bit. Visions of vocation is at least is a feast for the heart, mind, and soul. A master teacher, storyteller, and writer, Steve Garber has woven together a lifetime of stories, insights, and wisdom vividly and at times emotionally showing how our vocations are at the heart of our love and service to God. It's just sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we need a resource that we can go to to see, hey, our job, our job is awesome. 
and God created it. And here's a bunch of stories that will encourage you in your workplace. Visions of Vocation by Stephen Garber. Call into the studio line now, 877-943-9673, 877-943-9673. Michael? Yes, sir. All right, are you, you got your solar sunglasses off so you could take the phone calls today? You know what? Thanks for mentioning that because I haven't been able to see anything with these things on inside. I thought maybe it was, you know, maybe you were having a hard time seeing things. Hey, so call Michael, get a copy. I've got two copies, Michael. Visions of vocations. This is a different perspective on getting an idea that our work is ordained by God. 877-943-9673 or email us on our, just email us, jim at iworkforhim.com or check us out on Facebook and just send us a message. I work for him. All right. We're talking today with Dr. Charlie Self about a Labor Day transformation find out more about this transformation on our website love 2020 workplace.com love 2020 workplace.com this is a place where you could find out all about transforming your workplace love 2020 workplace.com charlie you've got you've been a pulpit pastor six different times both assistant uh, uh, both associate pastor and senior pastor how did the role as pulpit pastor impact how was it impacted by Ephesians four eleven through thirteen, the equipping of the saints? How did that impact how you preached in your church? Well, it, it made a profound impact early in my career. It was understood that we were to be equipped in character, we were to be equipped for good works, and we sometimes separated those things. We wanted to bring good character to work, but you know, the really spiritual works were the stuff that you did on your mission trips or volunteering for the church. In the last twenty five or thirty years. Um, with, with an expanded understanding of both the importance of every occupation and God's calling to work, um, that pastoral role took on a greater significance. In fact, I even got in trouble as a pastor because we, I, I would share the importance of everybody being Christ-bearers in their place of work and that their assignments were really ordained by God. One church I was in, we had a guy elected to the public school board. We've been praying for public schools and, and bashing them and complaining, and he got elected to the school board. And then my Pharisees in the congregation were upset because the school board meetings were on Wednesday night. And, uh, you know, you can't really be a spiritual person and be on the school board on Wednesday night. Of course, the people that complained about it never came themselves. But um, this is the kind of thing that the pastor has the opportunity to break down the Sunday-Monday gap, the sacred-secular dichotomy, and understand that all good work done for God's glory and the good of others really matters. Now, you're teaching the future pulpit pastors right now. I mean, yes. at seminary, you're teaching them. How are you driving this this home? Because I, w the hope for, this is my opinion, the hope for the Four Walls Church of America is this next generation of millennials and the digital generation that's coming up after them, letting them know, hey, your job is to equip the saints and we all together will impact our communities, our neighborhoods. And how are you helping them understand that it's not just their job, to, to spread the gospel, that it's the job of everybody in the congregation. How are you helping them understand that this is the congregation's role to transform the community? Well, I have the privilege of doing this uh, at the seminary, doing this with Made to Flourish as we create networks of pastors and equipping them with the wisdom to do this. But a couple of practical things. First of all, reminding them of the entire story of Scripture, that God's design in Genesis and His destiny in Revelation includes work. 
And that's always an eye-opener for people. We tend to look at the fall and the redemption and praise the Lord Jesus Christ for his redeeming grace. And until he returns, it won't be perfect, but we forget the bookend. So giving them the whole biblical story. Secondly, last time I checked, the day of Pentecost said the Spirit was poured out on all flesh. That means rich and poor, male and female, workers and pastors. In other words, God's Holy Spirit's been given to every believer to do the God-designed, Ephesians 2.10, the God-designed good works that he's ordained for them. So once you get a combination of the full biblical story, the universality of the Spirit's bestowal, the fact that the... Wait a minute, the wait, 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 that, was a, that was a lot, those are big words, too big for me, so the whole okay. audience going, the universality, universality of what? So try that again. Uh, The universality of the gift of the Spirit. Everyone has the Holy Spirit to empower them to work as partners in God's mission, not only giving verbal witness of the gospel, but in the work that they do, Matthew 5, that that what they will actually do in their good works will glorify their Father in heaven, and even our enemies will acknowledge it. So this is a so you begin with the full biblical story, you begin with the reality that the Holy Spirit isn't just given to a few priests or pastors, it's given to all, and therefore all God-ordained, God-assigned work has value and importance in his mission in the world. And then you can go further than that and begin to show them uh, that we're all more than our job description, we have other gifts and responsibilities, but that that occupation we do every day is part of a larger general and specific vocation that people have. So you, you, you begin with Scripture, you continue with the work of the Spirit and the mission that the Lord has for us. I love, I love this 2020, love 2020 initiative. I, I am so excited to be with you because what we're talking about is bringing the character and calling of Christ to work and really bringing encouragement and wisdom and prayer and, and love to the people that we're with every day. So this, right, is, so- this, this is what we teach. So let me ask you this question. Okay, you've been, you were ordained back in 1980, so it's a few years ago. How many times have you ever preached a sermon on Jesus? This is a trick question. This is kind of, this is kind of one of those, if I was, if you were a Fox <laughs> News contributor and you're on CNN, okay, here you go. How many times have you ever preached about Jesus's reputation as a businessman in the marketplace? Well, I've actually preached probably more than a handful of sermons on most of Jesus' adult life was spent as an artisan and an entrepreneur. Okay. You are uh, the so first I, person I've ever met that's ever had a sermon on that. I know. I want to be honest with you because there's a good, I've got to, always got to share your sources. And I want to give Dorothy Sayers credit sure. uh, in, her, in her wonderful book, several of her books. But she said, Jesus made good farm instruments and good furniture. Now, obviously, he was made for more than carpentry. But that was the very play. Dallas Willard put it better than I could. Um, our, we bring our character to work, and work shapes our character. Right. And, and this is, so I will, I will be honest, I had some of that dichotomy between spiritual and secular going on in me, really un- until difficult suffering circumstances changed it in the late 1980s, and I'm, I've been cured not to despise the important work of a pastor, but to no. elevate, but to elevate the work of the other ninety-eight percent. Well, and, and just to re- focus on that, it's it takes the whole body of Christ. We've all been given these unique spiritual gifts to impact our neighborhoods and our communities, and and and. As I have studied, this is only 10 years for me. I've been going to church all my life. It's only 10 years ago that I'm like, wait a minute. 
Jesus was a business guy. I never heard yes. a sermon about Jesus being a business guy. He was a carpenter. Nobody ever talks about the fact he was a carpenter, and he had a fantastic reputation in the marketplace because if he didn't, and it's not anywhere in Scripture, they don't talk about it, but he does say he grew in wisdom and stature with God and with men. But if he had had a lousy reputation in the marketplace for making crappy stuff, he had never been able to have a platform for ministry. Well, you, you make a very good point. We're always careful not to argue from silence, but when they were amazed at his miraculous works as he carried out his messianic ministry, they were connecting him. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the, the carpenter's son? And they weren't saying it so much negatively. It's just, well, we know his reputation. We know what they do for a living, and now we're kind of stunned that he could do all of this. You know, I, I want to share something really exciting. It's It's my conviction that we'll see more supernatural evidence of God's work outside our gathered meetings than inside, because as we go out in mission, both, and I'm not talking about preaching at the wrong time, but in general, as we go out in mission and we spend most of our time at work, that's where we should expect divine encounters. That's where we should expect uh, those signs of God's grace. And in fact, John Wesley discovered this when George Whitfield said, get out of church and come, come with me, we go talk to the miners. And Wesley just at first hesitated, and of course, once he got out there, a million miles later, England had been changed forever. And, and, and yet, God has no grandchildren, and England, which was won by those guys today, right. is a very dark, dark place. But that's that, what's so cool is that everybody listening today has, has been introduced to this message by one person or another. They've been tuning in here to, for four and a half years, but it, every time somebody that, that's a Christ follower that I get the chance to talk to them and say, you know, your work as a nurse, as a teacher, as a, as a ditch digger, as a used car sales guy, as a new car sales guy, as you know, a, a guy that runs lines down you know electrical lines or telephone lines or cable and internet lines it doesn't matter no matter what they do their workplace is their mission field and in that mission field they may be the only jesus their co-workers and employees may ever meet because well, people... this, and, yeah absolutely this is so important what you're sharing people spend 165 hours a week outside of church and they and the and the good part of that those waking hours they spend in some kind of work and it must be the major platform. At, at the famous Lausanne gathering in Cape Town in 2010, Mar uh, Mark Green, uh, the director of the Institute for Contemporary Christianity in London and a friend of John, the late John Stott, he said, we have two ways to reach the world, the volunteer time of hardworking folks to join with the church-paid workers or to equip people to be on mission in all of their life. And uh, he was speaking to evangelists and clergy and leaders from around the world, and, and they all kind of joyfully said, we've got to do the latter. It, it's understanding that God's with us as we go about our work and giving dignity to that. And that's what the Love 2020 movement is all about, bringing an authentic touch of Christ to all 156 million non-Christ-following workplace people in the United States of America by 2020 actually just touching those people if each one of us as a christ follower we would touch five people with the love of christ living out a lifestyle of prayer for those people care for those people and then eventually sharing with those people what jesus mm -hmm. has done in our lives that starts to transform our country in a way that no demonstration will ever do jesus transformed our lives he could transform anybody's life you could get signed up 
to participate in intentionally bringing the love of Christ with you to your workplace each and every day and join thousands and soon to be millions of others who are making that same commitment. But we're focusing in on Labor Day because it's a day that Christians just tend to take off. And we're taking it off, yet it's really a day to celebrate because the Lord has given our work to bring glory to Him and to feed ourselves. And it's an incredible day, and yet we tend to spend it around the barbecue instead of celebrating the mission field that we've been given. We've got Dr. Charlie Self with us today. He's an ordained pastor with the Assemblies of God, and he's presently a professor of church history at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary in Springfield, Missouri. Yet he retreats during the summer to Colorado, because everybody else would too. Charlie Self, welcome back to I Work For Him. It's great to be with you, and uh, I would also add I have the joy of working with a pastor's network for the common good called Made to Flourish, and we're joining with Love 2020 and all kinds of other partners in, in just honoring the work that God's people do. I get the joy of going city to city and equipping pastors with economic wisdom, helping them weave this message that you're sharing so passionately, weave it into the songs, weave it into the prayers and the sermons, weave it into the discipleship and the mission of the church. Imagine if we could just celebrate what, what people are doing all week. One church, I want to share a practical story with you. One church every Sunday, they have a three-minute interview called This Time Tomorrow, and they just ask someone in the church, what will you be doing this time tomorrow? And it's just broken open something of the dignity of everything from homeschooling a child to running a business uh, to, to, to my auto mechanic, everything in between. Uh, what an amazing thing that happens when we begin to realize that Jesus is Lord of every part of our life. I love that. This time tomorrow. That's really good. What I love even better, Charlie, is your passion for this message. And, and I love Made to Flourish. Made to Flourish has been highlighted on the show many times. And we love the fact that pastors are joining with business people and other workplace professionals to come together and understand that we all are all responsible for bringing the gospel message to the nation that we live Amen. in. Amen. And well, you know that, what, I, I've, been, I've been so well-trained by people who do business. Can I just share as a pastor how much I appreciate my congregation members, and now that I'm more broadly ministering, how much I appreciate the insights of the rest of the body. So whether it's my mechanic or a venture capitalist and everybody in between, I'm so much wiser and I'm so much richer for learning to see life through their eyes and learn what they've learned from their work. Yeah, it is. That is so encouraging to hear because so many people are out there going, but does my does my profession really matter to God? And that's the good news. That's part of the good news. Not only did Jesus come to save us, but he came to restore all things. And, the, and restoring our work is one of those things to, to bring back the fact that every one of our workplaces, I, you know, I can't think of, you mentioned a mechanic. I can't think of a, of a ministry that is more, I mean, that's a really important. There's so many ministries that are important. I love nurses, but mechanics, you know, when people are broken down in this country, they can't get anywhere. And it, and it really, and it frustrates them. Broken down cars are frustrating and, and then a mechanic can get it back on the road. I mean, it's a huge ministry. And when people are down and out and angry, what a great place to be able to pray with people. At your, oh, at your it, mechanic it, it changed shop. my life. It changed my life several years ago. In fact, I tell this story in my book. Uh, and my mechanic's name, and when I lived in California, was Scotty. 
And one day I'm getting that car repaired, and he's a member of our church and men's ministry and does fishing and all kinds of things. But he grabbed my arm and he said, you know, I'm just as much a minister as you are. And I said, of course you are. He goes, no, you don't get it. People come to me in crisis. I have to send them away safely. My team and I have to know as much as a general practitioner in medicine. And by the way, we're a pebble in the pond of the local economy. You figure a few few score cars a month means hundreds of people back on the road, which means thousands of dollars a day, day, millions, literally millions of dollars in the economy, or people are getting to vacations or church or other things safely. And it changed my life. In fact, when I went through a, we had a real, some real difficult circumstances in our family. And after meeting with some, a pastor, the first place I went for prayer was to Scotty and his six greasy mechanics that laid their hands on me and prayed for me. Um, and then I had a venture capitalist one day and said, you know, you preach to a thousand of us and we really like it, but I make a decision and a thousand people either have or don't have a job. You know, who's doing God's work? And so you suddenly realize, wow. Wow, the way the Lord has designed, each of us have a vital part to play. And that is so true. And grasping that understanding is really what Made to Flourish is about and encouraging pastors to grasp this understanding. And the Love 2020 movement is about for everybody to understand that the power of prayer in the workplace opens up doors people don't understand. But that is something that years ago I learned. I started praying for my coworkers and employees by name every day on my way into work. I had a long commute. I had spent some time praying about it. I learned all their spouses' names if they were married. I learned all their kids' names if they had kids. And I started praying for them. And I started seeing in my own life, my own heart softened towards those people, especially the people that were annoying the living daylights out of me. And, and then I started <laughs> yeah. seeing opportunities yeah. when I noticed they were having a bad day that I got to pray with those people. And then I got a chance to serve them and and befriend them, and it really opened up doors for ministry in a place that most people think, well, I got churches, church. This is how my mentors mentored me at church. Church is church, and business is business. None shall the two ever cross. And, oh, and that's how I wow. that's how I was mentored. That wasn't by my pastor. That was by the business guys in the church. They said, well, these two things are different. How you act at business is not how you act at church. And I had to overcome all that. But you as a pastor understanding that can really speak truth into people. That's powerful. And I've so many colleagues and peers, I've had doctoral students and others that I've worked with, they put they put pastors and business leaders in the same room over a period of weeks or months. And after the first bit of awkwardness, pretty soon they start realizing the commonalities of leadership and the commonalities of managing people and serving people. Because all good business in the end is service. All good work is service in some form or another. And um, so it's been really heartening. And I think a lot of times business folks really wonder, could those could those preachers even make it in the real world? And then the preachers often wonder, do those folks really understand all that I go through? And the fact is, <laughs> if we can begin to honor the vocations and occupations of all of God's people and listen to each other, oh my goodness, that power that you've described in the workplace will be explosive. The next awakening in this country, we've not had one for t- almost 200 years, the next awakening in this country is going to be millions of brush fires of disciples of Jesus Christ bringing that presence of God wherever and whenever they happen to be. And uh, I think I, I think you're at the forefront of that, and I just want to thank you for your passion on that. It, it's exciting to be part of it, and God put me here, pull, plucked me out of what I, what I was good at from an earthly perspective as an insurance guy and an IT professional, and said, hey, Jim, I don't want you running businesses anymore. This is where I, I want you to be the mouthpiece of this movement. Amen. And, and, Amen. And, 
We don't have enough time for that story, but it's an incredible story. Hey, today we're talking with Dr. Charlie Self about the Love 2020 movement and the Labor Day initiative. I want you to check out a website, love2020workplace.com, love2020workplace.com. Charlie, you said you'd have some stories of some pastors who understand this, who are engaging their con- their congregations in really being sent out into their mission field. What does that look like for some congregations out there let's cast some vision out there so that people listening can encourage their own pastors and how they can be sent out into the workplace and use labor day as one of those launching pads well one congregation in new england just a simple story to give you an example once a month they call out people who work in a particular domain if it's the medical field everybody from the neurosurgeon to those who change the bedpan stand up and they receive they receive special prayer and commissioning, and, and, they, and they do that uh, once a month in all the different domains, from education to medicine to business, to, and they even take people we call retirees, which isn't a biblical concept. God simply has new assignments for you, by the way. But he, they, they will take folks, whether you, whether you make a living at it or not, whether your full-time work is at home, but they, they commission God's people. Another place in, in the Bay Area of California, uh, since 2010, over 100,000 hours networked from, this, from, a, from 18 different churches to 25 nonprofits. In other words, instead of using all the volunteer time for each of their churches, they're commissioning people to use their volunteer time for the good of the county and the city. And by the way, they now even have the city paying for the coordination and the computers for this. Is that Modesto? Um, I, is that Modesto? No, this is up in Dublin, California. Um, Dublin, California. Modesto, Very good. Modesto, uh, Modesto's got some other really great networks as well. But you know, on a really practical note, um, just another example, there's a great business called Dedemco uh, in, in, um, in the Kansas City area. And these are Christian owners who... Uh, their entire purpose is to show business as it ought to be, to lift the human spirit. Now, not everybody who works there is a Christian, but you walk into this business, and they've been commissioned and blessed by their pastor. But you walk into this business, and just the hospitality, the beauty, the efficiency, the joy that suffuses all they do. Today we're talking about the Love 2020 movement, and we've got Dr. Charlie Self joining us today. I want you to check out this website, love2020workplace.com, love2020workplace.com. Learn how to bring an authentic touch of Jesus to your workplace. Sign up. Be a part of this movement that is transforming our country one prayer at a time. Charlie, I want to add, you were, you were right before the break, you said, I got one more story about a church that gets this and about a church that is really engaging their workplace believers in the pews. What was that story? Well, this this is so exciting. I, I want to make one correction. I mentioned a company in the Kansas City area. It was Demdeco. I, I thought it so, might have been. Okay. Yeah, I got so excited as I pronounced that. So what a wonderful group they are, commissioned by Christ Community and Pastor Tom Nelson. Um, but down in down in, in Dallas, Texas, Tom Landis owns a bunch of restaurants, and one of his, and, and and commissioned by his pastor, he makes it his aim to employ women and men with Down syndrome and autism as his mm. employees. And he's not running a charity, but what he's doing is making a dent in this gap between for-profit and non-profit work. We often have big gaps there as well. And what he's doing is showing compassion, giving people the dignity of work, and it's just so exciting. 
exciting to see what he's doing um, in, in uh, having been commissioned that the work he's doing is valid. Now he's going one step further and, and really making a difference both in, in his work and in, and in compassion. And the stories could just be multiplied. Uh, there are other churches that are, there's one great church in the Boston area where they're actually, instead of holding the typical teen summer camp, we all remember summer camp. I joke that the liturgical churches have confirmation and some of the evangelical churches have summer camp, right? You know, in terms of getting, getting people excited about their faith. Well, right. instead of summer camp, they hold entrepreneur's camp. And they teach life skills, business, and economics to teenagers. In fact, in Richmond, Virginia, my dear friend Svetlana Papasov not only is pioneering a church, real-life church, but she week the same facility as an entrepreneurship center where they're incubating new businesses. Already she's baptized 13 people who came in to, to, to do better at their business and are still doing well at business, and now they're baptized members of the church. So whether it's her teen printer program, whether it's my friend in Boston with teaching, especially inner-city youth, about how to do businesses, it's so exciting to see churches be unafraid. Another great one is my brother, my brother and friend Jeff Greer um, in, in, in Mason, Ohio, does what he calls business trees, and they keep all the technicalities clear and clean, but they've actually prompted both overseas and locally um, several new businesses that are now paying back into the fund, and they're transforming their city block by block, seeing people transformed, because when you get rid of the sacred-secular split and you honor the work people do, amazing things happen. I love that. What I love is I think you're just as excited as I am. We could probably do this every day. You know, you mentioned a couple of things that I want to make sure I, I, I tackle. Um, you mentioned retirees, and that is absolutely a hot button. We've got a whole bunch of people listening that I call our I Retire For Him crowd who are learning that they can live out intentionality in their retired years during their next phase of life. Talk to those people. Talk to them about how they can get involved in ministry mentoring those next generations. Well, you've, you've already mentioned one of the fundamental things they have to offer. People need to wake up every day with purpose and wake up contributing. So praise God for many of them, if they have the resources, they're, they're not having to do one kind of discipline, but now the Holy Spirit's calling them to another, which is to make sure that that accumulated wisdom, to make sure that their character gets passed on, and also that they wake up with work to do outside of the honey-do list. In fact, one of my favorite stories is an 88-year-old violinist in our church orchestra in California who came up to me and said, pray for me, I'm, I'm uh, getting a job interview on Monday. Well, he's, he was a pretty wealthy guy, and he'd been retired. He said, I need to put a suit on and serve people every day. And he said, pray against ageism. Well, he had a job for the next three years helping people, um, working every day with a suit on. So I think it's so important that we not have notions like success, then significance, or what are you going to do in the second half of your life? Rather, at every moment, regardless of the economics, at every moment, how are you taking all that Christ has poured into you and giving him a good return? Yes, significance in our success, significance in our intentionality and our excellence. All right, so here's here's the bombshell question, because everybody out there listening is going, okay, how how can I encourage my pastor? to embrace this? How can I encourage my pastor to, to to move through this paradigm shift? And I know one of the answers is we need to tell our pastors about Made to Flourish. And they could check it out online at madetoflourish.org, madetoflourish.org. That is absolutely something that's super important. But 
as a pastor, I, I, I know that you have experienced some of that adversity from your congregations where yep. people are, um, they're not always gentle. Uh, they get frustrated. And if you have 400 congregants, you got 400 bosses. Talk to us how we can how we can approach our pastors with this idea, so that he won't don't think that this is a program because this is not a program. How do no, we approach is, our pastors with this? Thank you. I think the most important thing is to is to approach a pastor with the understanding that on a good day, her or his work is challenging. Mobilizing volunteers, preparing <laughs> very sermons, nicely put. Right. So so approach with the humility of of we're all in this together. Secondly to really um, uh, work with the pastor to change vocabulary, to, say, to talk about calling in new ways, rather than, you know, I, I joked with you about summer camp, rather than the last night be, are you called to the mission field or the pastorate? Hey, are you call, we're all called to the Great Commission, and here are the 10 or 12 or 15 different ways you might fulfill that Great Commission. So work with the pastor to begin to change the language, because this pastor is the chief storyteller. The chief, the chief, the person whose words define how people encounter God. And so when the language begins to change, I think the other thing is, and here's a, a really neat idea that could be a program by itself. The more the pastors and leaders commission and bless work outside the church, the more margin people are going to have for the necessary works that need to take place in the gathered community. What do but you if mean? You, what do you well, mean by this? Is it because this, is that, a that's... this is a kingdom principle. So when you begin to commission new businesses or commission volunteering outside or bless the Little League coach and the soccer coach, whatever it may be, you begin to bless that sincerely. Then when you need the nursery worker, the youth worker, when you need the volunteer, because they, they have a prayer-infused, back to Love 2020, because they have a prayer-infused life that's not secular anymore, but made holy by the fact that what they're doing is God's work, there's going to be more emotional and spiritual margin in their lives that when you do need their help, they're more likely to be there. Many pastors unconsciously think, well, if I, you know, if I, if I bless everybody going out, nobody will do stuff here. And the fact is, we're made to gather in order to go. And that's the real paradox. William Temple put it better than I could. We're the only voluntary agency that exists for our non-members. And so when we exist for God and others, it's interesting how that's when the Church begins to grow. We are made to gather in order to go. That's tweetable right there. That's a tweetable sentence right there from Dr. Charlie Self. Last question. How do we get our pastors to engage us in our workplaces? So often the pastor wants us to come into his workplace, his or her workplace. How do we get the pastors out into our workplaces so they can experience our ministries? You know, invite them to lunch. Invite them to an early morning meeting. Invite them. To, in fact, we just wrote on this at Made to Flourish about workplace visitations. And to be tender to many pastors who work two or three jobs, that's a little bit hard for some. But for those who are blessed with the ability to have a little flexibility, the more workplace visitations, the more those sermons, the more the entire ethos of the Church will change. So invite them to see what you actually do. And I think you'll find, I think you'll find most women and men who are pastors will be very excited to do so and some of those walls will begin to break down i love that well you got 30 seconds you can say anything you want about this whole faith and work movement you got it go 
anything I want, I'll simply say this. I am so excited to be part with you of the beginnings of the next awakening where we see the kingdom of God expressed through people in any and every occupation and vocation. Dr. Charlie Self, thanks for taking time to be on iWork for him today. Thanks for sharing your enthusiasm. Thanks for encouraging us to encourage our pastors. Where can people find out more about Made to Flourish? What's that website once again? MadeToFlourish.org. MadeToFlourish.org. And we just welcome you and welcome your insights and voices as well. Dr. Charlie Self, thanks for coming on today. It's my honor. Thank you so much. All right, make sure you check out Love2020Workplace.com. Love2020Workplace.com. Engage yourself in being intentional and celebrating Labor Day coming up very quickly. Celebrate Labor Day, the work that God has given you. And encourage your pastor, be kind and gentle to your pastor, and encourage them to check out madetoflourish.org. That's madetoflourish.org. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field. But ultimately, I work for him.